What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. I'm John, and this is r slash pro revenge. Well, tried the cat cam on yesterday's Tales from Tech Support video. Uh, a little bit different, and tried to keep it on through the whole video, and it didn't work real well. It blocked the uh, script for a good part of the video for people, not for me, but for the people that were following along on the finished video. So that won't be happening again. Of course, today, I guess the cats decided I've had enough attention for the week, so they disappeared again. Um, but anyway, so next time we do the cat cam, it'll just be while I'm running my mouth that they're up, which I run my mouth a lot. So you'll get a lot of cat cam. All right, let's read some stories. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas city, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I was able to simultaneously gain a 30k per year pension for my mother while wiping my piece of crap father's retirement. My father is the Canadian Satan. Growing up with him was less than fun and I can assure you, based on witnessing it, he was a less than fun husband. I'd go on about what a piece of crap my father is, but instead I'll quote a judge. You're the most despicable human I've ever had in my courtroom. And that's coming from a family court judge. I read this winning endorsement of my dad's personality in the court documents I acquired related to his divorce with my mom. The same place I discovered the effery he had engaged in to steal from my mom. It's also where I found the information I needed to get one over on him so severely he's going to disinherit me. This is a bit of a long read, so too long didn't read at the bottom. A frame of reference about my father is that he's a pathological narcissist and behaves exactly how those people are compelled to act. They aren't generous people, and punching them in the wallet is like a slap shot to the taint from Gretzky. He's kind of like Donkey from Shrek, but also Joseph Stalin. A monstrous jackass. Chapter 1. Hosea 3.8 Those that sow the wind shall reap the whirlwind. Our actions always have consequences, and my padre has plenty to answer for. My attempts to hold him to account didn't jump to immediate jihad. They started with diplomacy and a therapist. About ten months ago, when our tale begins, I was going through some stuff. Stuff being a whole lot of PTSD related to both my dad's abuse and my job as a paramedic. He did a ton that affected me deeply. Things that I needed to move past, along with all that other razzmatazz from 15 years of EMS. In so trying to move past and work through everything, I quit drinking, started turning my untreated PTSD into treated PTSD, and thinking having my dad involved might help me in our relationship. Well, I seriously misjudged that one, so you'll probably be unsurprised to hear that conversation went swimmingly. I'll spare you the lurid detail, but when I broached the subject with him, our back and forth degenerated into visceral hate, with him screaming at me that I'm a failed paramedic, liar, and a piece of crap alcoholic. While I have a certain pride about my job, I have more pride in my 14 month sobriety, so hearing this from my old man might have caused me to behave a bit psychotically. I got right pissed off at him and decided to dig up every bit of dirt I could, see what kind of man he actually is and has been. When it was convenient, I hopped in the mystery machine before taking a trip to the courthouse to unleash my inner gumshoe. Everything is public record, so I bulk bought copies before retiring to my easy chair to read, plot, and pet my white long-haired cat. For good measure, I obtained a file of divorce documents from my mother. Soon enough, I hit upon a line of inquiry worth following up on. 
It seems that during the final settlement of my parents' divorce in 2002, my mother was awarded one-third of my father's employment pension. She was a stay-at-home mother and couldn't earn one herself, so it was given to her by a judge. Mighty strange because my father, as he brags, took a nearly full pension and retired a bit early. No way that asshat was living the last 10 years after retiring early on a two-thirds pension. He isn't constantly being about it. So I asked my mother if she was collecting a pension from his job or had cashed out the value, 100k plus at the time, 20 years ago. No to both questions. Well that's interesting. I wonder if that's collectible on what 20 years of compound interest from a pension fund makes it worth. Well I did eventually find out along with the fact that my dear old dad had been collecting my mother's portion for 10 years in hilariously open violation of a legal order from a judge. Why didn't my mother pursue this sooner? A combination of being unable to afford a lawyer, being his victim for 20 years, and pessimism after so much of his continued dodging obligation to the order, she just quit. There is effectively no statute of limitations he could hide behind because of the wording of the settlement. Insofar as I could tell, I had him dead to rights and my mother would be collecting. It would be a slam dunk. I just needed to hire a lawyer to help me, so I set out to find the most unbalanced, bloodthirsty psychotic who passed the bar exam. Chapter 2. It too, Pension Lady? As it says in the good book, screw unto others as they would screw unto you. So that's what I set out to do. The misanthropic sociopath I hired for legal counsel suggested we send a demand letter to the pension office to try and remedy it before filing what would undoubtedly be an easy win for him. I agreed in spirit and instead phoned up the pension office and got put through to the woman managing my father's file. Well, she was a delight, and it was a trivial matter for me to get her to loathe my dad. We talked for 45 minutes, and I swear if you'd given me another hour I could have convinced her to suicide bomb his house. In all our conversations about life, families, and relationships, we got down to some things of note. Since I could show her correspondence her office had sent to my father, CC'd my mom on, some years ago and ongoing for five consecutive years, trying to resolve this matter, which he had ignored, she was more than willing to start the process on remedy immediately. Full cooperation from this lady in her office was a matter of merely providing documentation and with my lawyer on retainer. This office was beyond asking my father to comply. They complied for him. About two months since I last spoke to my father and he now had no idea his pension was about to take a serious hit. Below I'm going to break down how big a turd I put into his bowl of ice cream. My mother's portion was made whole and adjusted to reflect that her portion was brought to maturity and beyond so his early retirement doesn't affect her fund. So he loses 10 years of valuation to her. He also retired three years early, which knocks him down now to 17 years of pension valuation, not 27. If you'd forgotten, my dad had been collecting my mom's money and was overpaid by 30k per year for the last 10 years. Like I said, mom was made whole, so the pension company is going to claw back that overpayment from the base valuation of his current pension fund. I'm not exactly sure what that does to the number, but it effectively nerfs my old man's private retirement fund. He's got government old age pension that he took early too. Whoops. My dad did some awful stuff to me, but I only had to suffer 17 years of him. My mom still has the high score at 20. As much as I did this for spite and malicious glee, I did do it to give my mom a chance at a proper retirement. Chapter 3. Glitter Bombs of Justice My mother started collecting her pension about 3 months after I contacted the pension office, and to celebrate, she bought tickets to New Zealand for the family for Christmas, so we can see our relatives. I was able to get most of my retainer from the lawyer back and to celebrate I went online to order a glitter bomb. I was able to ship it to my old man anonymously from another country. God bless the USA. 
I heard through my sister. He opened it up in his stupid red Miata. <laughs> He'll never get rid of it. Oh, this guy sounds classy. Listen, I'll be the first to admit I'm an a-hole, but I'm an a-hole with morals, if that makes any sense. Like, I might be a jerk, but I'm not going to take somebody else's money. I'm not going to put my family out. I'm not going to, you know, leave my kids stranded. And I'm definitely not going to ignore a judge's orders, no matter how I feel personally. This guy's just mean and stupid. Want some free gas? I got you, bro. So several years ago, my friend, we'll call him Boris, and I would always help each other do the spring cleanup for our properties. This included taking out damaged trees, preparing garden plots, and taking care of our weed-infested yards. I was going to be first on the cleanup detail, so I prepared tools and implements the Friday before the big cleanup was to happen. Sharpening tools and chainsaw chains, lawnmower blade, and just getting everything in order. Among those tasks was mixing gas with two-cycle oil. Finished up kind of late and generally put things away for the next day. The next morning, Barra shows up with coffee and biscuits around 8 a.m. As we were sitting on his tailgate enjoying breakfast, my neighbors ride by in their beat-to-hell Chevy Cavalier smoking like a freight train. We will call them Rocky and Bullwinkle. Boris and I made the usual jokes about the amount of smoke pouring from the exhaust. Damn, bet they go to the gas station and fill up with oil and check the gas. We soon finished breakfast and thought no more about it. As we begin to get the tools laid out and hash out a plan of attack, I can't find my gas cans. No mixed gas, regular gas, or gas can in general. That's when it dawned on us why the car Rocky and Bullwinkle were driving was smoking so bad. I'm pissed to say the least. Well, all Boris and I could do is go shopping for gas cans, gas, and more two-cycle oil. After we returned, we saw Rocky and Bullwinkle pass by several times, but all in all, we got a lot done. The next weekend, we dedicated to clean up at Boris's. A weekend or two go by, and we have a family dinner at my wife's, Rocky and Bullwinkle's grandparents'. Toward the latter part of the evening, we were having a few drinks. Most people had left and myself and wife's grandfather were shooting the breeze when I had to take a leak. As I was doing so, I saw a gas can with very distinct paint on it. I inquired from the old man about how it came into his possession, and he stated Rocky and Bullwinkle left it there. I simply explained it was mine, as was another, and loaded them in my truck. It ate at me every time that POS car with my past neighbors went by, so I hatched a plan from a rotten egg. I went and bought a few gallons of gas, a few gallons of diesel fuel, and some other various oils. I made a concoction of these different chemicals and filled my new 6-gallon gas can I had to purchase, with some clean gas. I filled the lawnmower and cut some grass that evening, making sure Rocky and Bullwinkle saw me. Then I put everything away but forgot and left that rotten egg gas can out. I got up and went to work the next morning and didn't even think to check on the can, but when I got home, I checked and it was gone. My wife informed me that my plan must have worked as she watched Rocky and Bullwinkle go in and out with the car, not only smoking, but spitting and sputtering as well. The last time they rode out, they didn't ride back in. Hmm. They gave me about an hour apiece before they came over and wanted to know if I could look at the car and see what was wrong. If it could not be fixed on the side of the road, maybe tow it home. My response? I've had a long day and have a migraine. Maybe tomorrow. I saw the panic set in when I told them that. That's when they told me they had no insurance and it was on a main road. Tough luck. So the highway patrol ran across it and had it towed. It was going to cost them around $500 to get it out of impound, plus they had to have current registration and insurance. The car wasn't worth it. Well, they're those type of people that good luck just falls on them, and the pastor for a local church gave them an old Ford Taurus. Took me a few cans of rotten eggs gas, but I got the motor to lock up after about a month. This time it quit in their grandparents' yard, so they scrapped it, 
and as luck would have it, they got their income tax returns. They bought a nice looking Ford F-150, but it began having problems too. Smoked really bad. They did take it to a mechanic that eventually found the problem. He got the truck running right again for about $1,500, and I've never had any more gas come up missing. Thanks for reading. On general principle, I'm usually against destroying other people's property. On the other hand, if they're coming and taking your gas can out of your yard, out of your property, car, house, whatever, it's not theirs, they know it's not theirs, if they're stealing that gas and putting it in their own car, then they're really essentially destroying their own stuff. I got no problem with that. But I didn't retire. My friend, I'll call her Sandy, worked at a travel agency in British Columbia, Canada. It was a small owner-operated business with the owner and three employees, including my friend. Everyone worked Monday to Friday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. One of my friend's co-workers, I'll call her Jane, an older woman in her early to mid-60s was a long-time nuisance employee. Among other sketchy behavior, Jane was always scamming ways to take time off over and above her official paid vacation time. In order to make up for the lost hours, she would claim overtime hours and pay by supposedly going into the office in her off hours to finish up work without being requested by the owner to do so. Despite being caught in her own lies on a number of occasions and being warned about trying to claim for unsanctioned overtime, the owner of the travel agency was reluctant to officially reprimand Jane or get rid of her. The reason being is the owner discovered after she had hired Jane that Jane had actually been fired from her previous job at another local travel agency for pulling the same stunts. However, Jane had sued her former employer for unfair dismissal and had won a settlement. Ouch. After a few years of my friend Sandy working at the travel agency, the owner was ready to retire and offered to sell the business to my friend. Sandy took her up on the deal and took over the business while keeping on Jane and the other employee. Once again, just as the previous owner was afraid to get rid of Jane, so was Sandy for her fear of being sued. When Sandy took over the business, she instituted guidelines regarding taking time off and she established an official no-overtime policy. Jane would still try with her shenanigans, but was far less successful in getting what she wanted with my friend in charge. However, Jane still had one trick up her sleeve when she wanted to take time off on a whim. Sandy was a divorced single mom of two boys who were heavily involved in youth hockey. She would sometimes leave the office an hour or two before closing to get her boys to hockey practice or a game. In order to avoid requesting in person and potentially being denied, Jane would wait for Sandy to be out of the office to book a day off if she didn't feel like coming into work or had made plans. Sandy would then arrive at work the next morning only to discover that Jane wasn't coming in. Despite this happening a number of times, Sandy would usually let it slide since there was now a definite no-overtime policy. Therefore, Jane could no longer claim to come in to work on the weekend or after hours in order to try to make up for the day off. She would either miss out on the day's pay, in turn saving Sandy money as the owner, or it would come out of her remaining paid vacation days. Moreover, two people in the office at one time could usually handle everything. Jane not coming in was really a no-loss situation for Sandy. There was one time, however, when Sandy was going to be away for one or two work days just before the weekend to take her boys to a hockey tournament. She told both Jane and the other employee, both verbally and in writing, that they could not book time off for the dates in question since she would be away and needed both of them in the office. Within a few days of giving this notice, Sandy went into the office on a Saturday to do some paperwork and go through the sales for the week. This is when she discovered that, only the day before, Jane had booked a trip for her daughter and son-in-law to Las Vegas, as well as a plane ticket in her name to Calgary, where her daughter lived. Both the trip to Vegas and the ticket to Calgary coincided with the dates Sandy would be out of the office. Sandy then checked the vacation booking schedule to further discover that Jane had indeed booked the days off, 
that she had expressly been told she couldn't have. Not mentioning she had discovered the travel Jane had booked for herself and her daughter, Sandy emailed Jane telling her she would have to deny her days off since she had already been told they were unavailable because she, Sandy, would be away and needed Jane in the office. Through a continued series of email exchanges, Jane replied and outright lied to Sandy with some excuse about her daughter getting some long-awaited medical treatment or surgery, and she needed to go to Calgary to help out for a few days and look after her granddaughter. Sandy replied to this lie by telling Jane she knew about the trip she had booked to Vegas for her daughter and son-in-law, that Jane's trip to Calgary was most likely to babysit her granddaughter while her daughter was in Vegas, and that she would still have to deny Jane the days off, especially since she booked them after being told they were unavailable. Jane countered in her subsequent reply, without even addressing the fact that she had been caught in a lie, that she had been a dedicated employee of the travel agency for several years and couldn't understand why she was being treated so unfairly after all she had done for the business. She then wrote that since she wasn't being treated as a valued employee, she had no choice but to retire and was giving her two weeks notice. Despite Jane's threat, Sandy replied that she would still be unable to grant her the days off and left it at that, without making any mention of Jane's threat to quit slash retire. Sandy then contacted her accountant, who also acted as her de facto business advisor, and explained what had happened with Jane. Also aware of Jane's previous shenanigans, Sandy's accountant told her that this was the out she had been looking for with Jane, and she had it all in writing. He told her that Jane had essentially resigned and retired, and all Sandy needed to do was honor Jane's desire to do so, let her finish out her two weeks, or pay her two weeks' wages in lieu with no further severance pay legally required since she hadn't been fired. The following Monday, Sandy went into the office early, accompanied by her long-term boyfriend to act as a witness. She put Jane's belongings from her desk into a box and took the things that were property of the business. Since Jane was old school and had resisted inputting client information in the computer database, this also included a small box filled with index cards which had client phone numbers, addresses, credit card information, and other personal information noted on them. In the meantime, the other employee had arrived for work and they all waited for Jane to show up. Jane arrived just before 9, acting as though nothing had happened and greeted everything with a good morning as she walked through the door. However, she was apparently taken slightly aback when she noticed Sandy's boyfriend seated in the far corner of the office. At this point, Jane was midway to her desk when Sandy informed her that there was no need to go any further and that she had accepted Jane's notification of retirement. She then handed Jane a check, compensating her for the hours she had worked in the current pay period, as well as two weeks' wages in lieu of Jane finishing out her final two weeks before her retirement. Jane was dumbfounded and went into panic mood. But, but I didn't retire. I'm not ready to retire. Sandy responded that indeed she had retired, given her notice and had proof of it in writing. All Jane could do was continue repeating, but I didn't retire. I'm not ready to retire, while unsuccessfully attempting to get the support of the other employee who refused to come to her defense. Sandy then pointed to the box containing Jane's belongings, wished her a happy retirement, and told her to leave the office. Jane quickly rifled through the box and noticed that the small box containing the index cards with client information was not there. She insisted that Sandy return it to her, which Sandy refused to do, explaining that it was property of the business, contained personal client information, and that she would be in violation of Canadian privacy laws if she were to let Jane take it. Jane's shock had now turned to obstinance and she refused to leave without the box. Both the other employee and Sandy's boyfriend had started to get involved, repeatedly telling Jane to just leave. Sandy then informed Jane that if she didn't leave, they would have to call RCMP, Royal Canadian Mounted Police. At which point, Sandy's boyfriend dialed 911 to inform the dispatcher of a disgruntled former employee at XYZ Travel Agency who was refusing to leave the premises. 
Within a few minutes, two police officers arrived and Jane immediately ran to the door ranting about being fired and about the missing box of client info. In order to de-escalate the situation, one police officer told Jane to come outside and explain to him her side of the story. The other officer remained in the office to hear Sandy's side of the story, agreeing that Jane was not legally entitled to the box of client info. The other officer then re-entered the business and told Jane to wait outside. He said that Jane was insisting that Sandy was holding onto her personal belongings, namely a box of important information. Both Sandy and the officer who had spoken to her explained the contents of the box to the other officer, who in turn agreed it was not Jane's property. The police officers then picked up the larger box of Jane's personal belongings, took it outside to Jane, and told her she needed to go home. To rub salt in Jane's wounds, the next day Sandy put up a large sign in the window of the business congratulating Jane on her retirement and even put a small announcement in the local newspaper doing the same thing. The icing on the piece of revenge cake was, Sandy, when filling out the necessary government forms for when an employee quits or gets fired or retires, made sure to check the box labeled retired for the reason for Jane no longer being employed. By doing so, Jane was ineligible to collect unemployment insurance benefits. It really sucks that you have to be so careful about how you let somebody go or reprimand them because we're in such a litigious society these days that no matter whether you're right or wrong, in a lot of cases, you're going to end up being the one that pays one way or the other. It's a shame. If you're going to sue for wrongful dismissal, you should at least have to prove that you got let go for the wrong reasons. So, yeah. Glad you got that automatic out, man. As soon as she put that in that email, she was done. You've been listening to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. If you enjoy this content, be sure to follow my podcast. I upload new episodes at least three times a week.